morning. First, I just want to say that I'm really thankful that I that I can do this. It's it's a privilege. I'm thankful for all of you, and I'm, I'm thankful for Pastor Tony too that that I do have this opportunity. It is a it is a gift, and it is not one that I would seek to squander or one that I take lightly. Um, for those of you who are here, know that. Previously, we have been moving through the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. And last time I had the opportunity to preach, we completed the last of those statements. So we will now be moving in a different direction. We will set our gaze on a book in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. So the book of Judges continues the Old Testament narrative following on the heels of the book of Joshua, following the people of Israel. By the time we arrive in the book of Judges, Moses has led the people from captivity. They wandered in the wilderness due to their unbelief. They were ultimately sustained by the grace of God. And Joshua, 40 years later, led them into the promised land. Indeed, God kept his promise, and now the people of Israel are in the land. However, now, where we are this morning, Joshua is now dead. And Judges chronicles the years following these events. And yet, throughout the entirety of this narrative, and it is especially apparent, I believe, in the book of Judges, we find this, this cyclical phenomena where it seems the same series of events plays itself out again and again and again, over and over and over. And so, as I have opportunity, Lord willing, we will be examining an episode within Judges that showcases this cycle, what it means and how we should take it to heart. So, the one that we will be looking at has to do with Gideon and his time as judge over Israel. The narrative in Judges concerning Gideon begins in Judges chapter 6 and continues from there for several chapters. So this morning, the goal is to get an overall grasp of the framework of this cycle, of how this episodic structure works, and also get an understanding of context and then go from there. But before we go to the Word this morning, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we praise you for your Word. We come to read it together now. We know that no reading of your Word is void, but rather they are the words of life that, according to your will, reveal to us the Gospel of Jesus Christ. May we see Jesus this morning. Don't let me get in the way. Reveal to us that which is true. Show us Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Now, before we go directly to Judges chapter 6, remember I said the Judges is basically a series of cyclical events that mirror a set structure. We find the model for this structure laid out fairly plain, plainly for us in Judges chapter 2. 
So Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 states, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bethim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bakim, which translates to weepers. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. God brought them into the land and had sworn to never break his covenant with them. It is left to the Israelites to believe God's promise and to take possession of the land according to that promise. They do not do this. They do not obey God's voice. They do not believe in what God has said or his promise to and for them, and so they fail. They pursued evil, they allowed evil to remain among them, and they failed to go and claim what God had given them. And so God pronounces judgment, saying essentially, you did not drive them out, so they will be thorns to you, and their gods will be a trap that will entice you and drag you into the dark that will ultimately kill you. And how do the people respond? They don't repent. They weep. They cry. They make sacrifices. But they do not respond in faith and repentance. Their tears are false. They ultimately embrace what will kill them. I've told, I think, several of you this story already, so if you've heard it, I apologize. When I was growing up, there was a brief period where we lived on a farmhouse. My parents had sold our home, and we were waiting until we could move into our new one. And so in this interim period, we lived in this farmhouse. It was a little white house, and the owner of that farm was a man named Fred. Everyone called him Jack. Well, Jack was an older guy, and he had been in the Korean War. In the war, he had been hit, and so he had some shrapnel that was embedded in his hip that was inoperable. They could never get it out. And so between the shrapnel and him being an older guy, he had a really hard time getting around. And so everywhere he went, he went in style on his John Deere mower. His John Deere riding mower, he and his wife lived across this little road from where we were, but you could always hear him coming. And he never went fast. It was always a slow and deliberate pace for Jack on that mower. Now, probably a hundred or so feet away from the house in which we lived, there was a barn, an old barn. And living in that old barn were dozens of cats. Dozens. There were so many cats. This wasn't just, oh, we had a couple of barn cats. This was a lot of cats. I've never seen so many cats in one place. It was either like the beginning of a Dr. Seuss book or the beginning of an episode of Hoarders. I don't know which, but either way, there were so many cats. And every morning, Jack would get on that John Deere mower. He would ride across the street to the barn, and he would feed all of these cats. We thought it was the funniest thing. 
the funniest thing. And then one day, inexplicably to us, one morning, Jack got on his mower. He rode across like he always did. He went into the barn to feed the cats. And he poisoned them. And he killed all of these cats. Every single one. We came to find out that there have been a lot of cats in that area. They were a nuisance to him. And so Jack had spent all that time feeding them to lure them into the barn. So that when he did poison them, it would take care of all of them at the same time. But the cats trusted Jack. He fed them for as long as I had lived there. Long before then, he was the one who had provided them with what they needed, and so they lived in the barn. They thought that the barn, between the food and the shelter, was life to them until Jack killed them. The Israelites also, so to speak, lived in the barn. Judges 2 goes on to state in verses 11 through 15. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. The Israelites put their faith in the gods of the people around them, the gods of rain and fertility, things that the Israelites needed. They believed that these Baals and the Ashtaroth could provide them with food, water, children, protection, obstinately refusing to acknowledge that they will kill them. They trusted in that which would kill them to provide for them what they needed. They turned their backs on Yahweh God, refusing to believe that casting themselves on the God of grace was their only hope. And so their inability to keep the law, thou shalt have no other gods before me, does what the law does, it condemns them, and so they suffer judgment. The anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and they suffered at the hands of those who had previously refused to rem- they had previously refused to remove from the land. Just as God told them in verse 3, they will be a thorn, and their gods will be a snare. And the Israelites are caught. In verses 16 through 19 in Judges 2, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they poured after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. But the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And so now we have the full picture of the cycle. Remember, I said that there's this cyclical repetition of basically the same story. 
One, the people turn away and reject the God of grace, break the law, and worship other gods. Two, they are justly judged and are brought low. Three, God graciously provided the people with a judge, a Messiah, who brings deliverance from their enemies and draws the people back to God. Four, the judge dies. The cycle repeats. This is a cycle of faithlessness and humanity, but it's also a cycle of faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. Now, where we are this morning, Judges 6, 1 through 10, kind of sets the stage. It takes us through the first part of the cycle. We don't get to the judge yet. So next time, I have opportunity to go and we will look at Gideon specifically. But this morning, we just need to understand that this, this cycle is happening. That regardless of where you turn in Judges, what portion of it you're in, you can put it somewhere into that framework. Now, if you're still with me, congratulations. We have now arrived at the text for this morning. Judges 6, verses 1 through 10. As we keep going, we will get to Gideon, the judge that God raises up to deliver his people, but we won't get to that this morning. Judges 6 sets up for us the beginning of the cycle. Again, this episode, if you will, that includes Gideon. And so we're starting here this morning. At this time, I'll read the text. Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops... The Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Right from the beginning of the passage, we have a declarative statement regarding the people of Israel. They are doing what here in verse 1? What was evil in the sight of the Lord? The people are wicked and they're doing what is evil in God's sight. This very plainly tells us that the cycle has begun anew. We've started over. The Israelites have again turned to evil rather than being devoted to the God of grace. This statement occurs frequently in Judges to note what is happening. Going backwards from where we are this morning, Judges chapter 4, verse 1 states, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Judges chapter three verse twelve, and the people again did what was and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges three verse seven, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Going forward from where we are this morning, we find the same thing. Judges chapter ten verse six, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges thirteen one, and the people again, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The people of Israel have once again turned in faithlessness from God to evil. And so as consequence, as judgment, they are given by God into the hands of Midian. And so Midian comes and overpowers Israel. They come up along with the Amalekites and the people of the east, in verse 3, innumerably, without number. Just as Pharaoh's hardness of heart led to the Egyptians being visited by a plague of locusts, the Israelites in their persistent evil are given over to their own plague of locusts, the Midianites. And basically, they've, they've just moved in. They're, they're taking everything. They're not just coming in, ransacking, pillaging, and then leaving. When they come in, they're bringing their livestock and their tents. They're setting up camp, and they're letting their animals eat all the grain from the fields. The land is being decimated. And so what are we told of the people of Israel here in chapter 6, verse 6? And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. Brought low here in verse 6 is the Hebrew word dalal, which could be interpreted as empty or to fail. The situation is so dire that they would flee to the mountains and hide in caves. There's nothing left in them. Their way of doing things has failed. The chair has been kicked out from under them. The barn is on fire. The gods they have served are quiet. They have no means by which to save themselves. They cannot do it. They were not able to keep God's commands. Neither did they want to. They're in the barn and have eaten the poison and there's nothing else for them to do. And so they, what, they do what? They cast themselves on the God of grace, the only one who can save. And God responds to them in verses 8 through 10. I'll read it again. Verse 8, The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall fear no gods. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. God pronounces all that he has done for the people. He has taken this people, from whom he has made a promise, out of slavery. He delivered them from their oppressors, and all who wished to harm them, he drove his oppressors out of the land of promise. And then he said, the God of the universe said, the God who is perfect, perfect, he who has limitless knowing, power, and being, he who is the very standard of good, whose character defines that which is right and holy, he who is unknowably, unfathomably other, he stooped so low to say that he would be what? Their God. He would be their God. 
and they throw it in his face. They don't want him. They won't, can't keep the law. They want gods made with hands, calves made of gold, Baals and Ashtoreth. And the story should end there. Right? The people did what was evil. God sent the Midianites in judgment. And then they should be gone. That should be it. Justice would have been served if God allowed the Midianites to pick their bones clean. So there was nothing left. There should have never been a cycle. The first instance where the people turned to evil, that should have been it. Because they can't do it. If they could have, it would have been done. At every given opportunity, they choose evil. They choose idols. They choose themselves. And so at the end of verse 10, where God says, but you have not obeyed my voice, that should be curtains. But it's not. It's not. We're going to pause here in Judges. For now. Next time we'll come back and we'll look at Gideon. The last few minutes, let's go in another direction. Luke 15. Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. The son who demands his inheritance, departs, wastes everything. And then a famine comes and he is brought low. Emptied out. Nothing left. The Hebrew word could be below. And so he thinks to come home, but to come home not as a son, but as a slave. He doesn't deserve to be a son. But his father who had been waiting and watching from his return, is waiting on the porch. He sees him coming on the road, and he runs to him. He embraces him, and he brings him back on the porch, not as a slave, but as a son. The cycle that plays out in Judges is the people of Israel, the people of God, squandering their inheritance, being brought low, and then coming home to a gracious father over and over and over. And the father never turns them away. Every time his children are brought low and come back to him, they get welcomed home. Every time. It didn't matter how many times they were back in the pig pig pen, eating and sleeping with swine. And he never brought them home as slaves. They were always welcomed as children of promise with a future hope and a Christ who is coming. Not because of them or anything they had done, but because of who God is. Because of who He is. The Old Testament is full of gospel, full of it, foreshadowing a future reality just around the corner. And now it's here. This is 
been on my mind a lot lately. You may be a son or a daughter. You've already come home. But since then, maybe you've crept out a window. Or you've had words with the Father, and now you're on the run. And maybe this is the first time this has happened, or it's the second. Maybe you've lost count in this cycle of returning to eat and sleep with pigs. Because it's all the flesh knows. It's what the old man, the old woman wants. And right now, maybe you don't know what to do. You're thinking, I've already come home once and my father welcomed me as a son. And now here I am doing the same things, the same evil, disgusting things I've done over and over. How can I come home again after all that? When this is the second, third, thousandth time. Surely now I've crossed the line. It's I'm too broken to fix. How can you still call me? Son, listen to the word. It doesn't matter if it's your first, second, or millionth time. Every time you come home, your father is going to come off that bridge. Run to meet you on that road and carry you home in his arms. He will never say that it's the last time and that you can't come home. He will never say that he is so disgusted by you that he can't look you in the face. He will never say that you have failed too many times and that he disowns you. He will declare you alive, not dead. He will declare you found, not lost. He doesn't lose his kids. Rejoicing, he will bring you back his son, his daughter, and welcome you home, back on the porch, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything he is. Once a son, always a son. Once a daughter, always a daughter. Period. And maybe some of you have never come home. He's waiting for you too. Your father, the father your earthly dad could never be, the dad I could never be for my sons. No matter how far off you are, he will run to meet you right where you are and carry you all the way home. All the shame, every evil thing, he paid for it. He became it on that cross 2,000 years ago. So you could come home. He's waiting for you on that porch right now.